0: Nothing specific. Trevor David Houchen. What's going on, family? It's been a little while since uh, we got together. Um, the world has changed in the last six months. I think the last time we actually spoke was right before the big change. If you're wondering, I'm not wearing a mask right now. Uh, got a song out actually right now. It's called The Mask. You can check it out on my YouTube page if you want. Trevor David Topic. It's about The Mask. Won't talk too much about that right now because this isn't for that. This is a uh, conversation. Talk. A little back and forth between me and you. Heavy. It's, it's heavy on uh, the me side, but that's just the nature of the technology. And, it's all good, you know. Technology can be a good thing. Facilitates conversation and uh, keeps you in touch with people. A friend of mine, a real good friend of mine, guy that I, I guess I met him 25, 26 years ago. Shout out to my man Hunter out in Las Vegas. Called me the other night. Actually, it was the other morning. Called me from Vegas, 4 a.m. his time, 7 a.m. my time. Uh, and my man was not doing real good. Uh, You know, millions, hundreds of millions of people maybe in this country, not really doing that great right now with this, uh, like I said, this new paradigm. And my man wasn't doing real good. Financially not doing real good, emotionally, career-wise, kind of at the bottom of uh, the barrel of his psychological life and uh, basically called me for an intervention telling me that uh, things ain't going real well for him asking me actually not really asking me for anything other than just to uh, listen you know, be on the other end sometimes that's all a person needs is just somebody to listen to them talk about and bear witness to um you know, their experience in this thing called life. Sometimes that's it. You don't have to give a word of advice. Just be there. Be there to listen. Be there to, you know, be a conduit of humanity. So I think that's what my man called me for. So I listened, you know, listened to what he's got going on and what he doesn't have going on and what he wants going on. And... uh You know, then he asked me what I had going on. And in the first four months of uh, COVID-19, the new paradigm, the paradigm shift, in the first four months, what I did was I, I got myself up early in the morning and went out to the park. It's a park about four miles up the road from here, three miles, five miles, I don't know gyms were closed, and I'm a dude who likes going to the gym, so... The fact that the gyms were closed really burnt me. So I had to figure out something to do to get my physical body uh, moving, so... I figured, hey, you know, they can't... Well, I guess they can close the parks, but... Fortunately, here in Atlanta, they didn't. They didn't close this one particular park, so I'd get up, maybe 8 o'clock in the morning, take a shower, Maybe do some affirmations, drink a cup of tea, check on my wife, make sure she's okay, put on some sweats, some thermals, head out to the head out to the park, and uh, I really enjoyed it. it. It was a brand new, it was brand new for me. I, I'd never done that before. I'm out in the park. It's 8:30. It's you know, I'm doing push-ups, I'm doing curls, I'm running around the park, I'm doing affirmations out loud, I'm meditating, pull-ups. And I would do that for about an hour. 3-4 times a week for about 4 months, and I grew to love it. I grew to love it. It's nothing like being outside, you know, early in the morning. wish I could have made it earlier and I'm still working on that when when the weather changes here in Atlanta that's what my plan is it's too hot it's too hot to go work out in the park in Atlanta even early in the morning but the weather's changing now so I plan to reinstate my um, early morning park workouts and I'm, I'm hoping to like maybe get out there about an hour earlier than I was getting out there anyway There's nothing like being out there in the stillness of the morning air. You know, it's a brand new day. It's the beginning. It's the beginning. There's nothing painted on the day yet, you know? And I would get out there and I would, uh, you know, do my exercise and affirmations. And then, uh, you know, I, I made that a habit and it was fantastic. It was one of the best things that I could have chosen to do, and that's, you know, I chose to do it, I could have just laid in bed. My wife didn't want me outside, she was terrified of coronavirus, but I I made a decision that I'm not going to slack off on my physical responsibilities to myself. So I made it a habit, and it was probably the best thing I could have done for myself this year, and that energy that I had after working out in the park was a lot of energy, like, made me feel like holy shit, I can, holy shit, I feel great you know what I mean? I I just did, you know, 150 push-ups and 12 pull-ups pull-ups I can't do, man, my biceps just I remember one time this, this guy named Mike Niosi tells me he tells me my arms look like buggy whips. You know those things that guys in the buggies used to whip the horses with? They look like, like they they look like leather spaghetti. That's what my arms are like. I can't do pull-ups. But I was out there in the park, you know, trying to do pull-ups. couple homeless people out there you know sleep they're sleeping on the benches and you know they don't bother nobody this one time no this this homeless this this one homeless cat i mean how do i know he's homeless right how do i know i don't know i show up at the park at 8 a.m he's already there my assumption is he's homeless but maybe he just got there before i did that's real possibility right maybe he was just you know even more on his game than me don't judge a book by its cover anyway I'm trying to do my pull ups one day I think i can do i think I was doing three or four pull ups pull ups are hard man pull ups are hard you know it's it's hard when you're tall when you're long when you're when you're tall and uh you know, you got some weight on you. You're—it's—it's—it's it's, it's the physics of it. It's the physics of it. You're pulling yourself up a further distance because your arms are longer than somebody who's six inches shorter than you, and his arms are, you know, six inches—six inches shorter than yours. His his pull-up is six inches less than yours. Period. He's pull—he's—he's he's pulling a shorter distance than you are, and likely if he's six inches shorter than you, he probably weighs 10, 20, 30 pounds less than you, so he's pulling a shorter distance, he's pulling less weight, don't worry about it, this homeless cat anyway, this homeless cat, one day says, hey, come here, you want to see something cool? Big big dude, big brother, big black guy, he's always wearing these knit gloves, this knit Cap, pretty quiet cat, calls me over, hey, you want to see something cool? I'm like, sure, man, I'm always down to see something cool. I go over to him, thinking, what's he going to show me, right? What's he going to show me? He pulls this jar, glass jar, out of his uh, knapsack, and, 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 and inside the jar is a really, really, really interesting-looking spider. And I'm like, I like spiders. I like spiders. One of my favorite animals, if you consider it a, an animal. And I'm like, whoa, bro, what, what, what the hell? Where'd you get that? Why do you have that? And he says, he tells me what kind of spider it is, you know, the scientific name of this spider. And, uh, you know, he tells me they're extremely rare his, his spider's got a name, you know, um, and he's, he's like, look at that, look at that. You know, he's holding the jar up to my face and holding it up to the sunlight, and the spider's crawling all around the jar, and his eyes are really big. And he's not the spider, the, the, the homeless cat's eyes are really big, and he's really excited, and he's like, isn't that cool? And I'm like, hell yeah, it's cool. Hell yeah, bro then the guy goes back in his knapsack and he pulls out like three or four more jars he's got frogs he's got uh you know like lizards beetles this guy's got like this guy's like a scientist man he knows all about these insects and lizards and frogs and birds and trees and grass and everything man the guy knows everything about nature I guess because he lives in the park I mean you know this homeless-looking guy this homeless-looking black guy uh, he looked a little, he looks a little bit like Forrest Whitaker maybe it was Forrest Whitaker I don't know you know maybe 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 it was Forrest Whitaker like you know preparing for a role Maybe right, but this guy's got all these different specimens in his backpack that he's carrying around. That he's got names for, and he knows exactly what they eat and how long they live and how how many of them there are. And you know, this one's poisonous. This one's not. This is when this one mates. This guy was a scientist, man. This guy was a scientist. And after he showed me his jars, you know, he offered me a smoke on his blunt, and then he says, hey, you know, I didn't mean to interrupt your workout, and I'm like, brother, you didn't, but I appreciate the lesson, and I went back, finished my push-ups, and I'm thinking, this guy is Charles Darwin, right? How do I know? How How do I how do I know that this homeless Forrest Whitaker looking black guy that I'm seeing in the park carrying jars around in his backpack with frogs and spiders and lizards, how do I know this guy isn't like about to become a world-renowned scientist? How do I know this guy isn't going to discover some cure for some disease, you know, he's going to discover some new species or make some link between you know the different aspects of the ecosystem you know this homeless guy how do i know what was this guy doing five years ago before he was homeless you know maybe he was working at denny's as a cook or maybe he was loading packages at ups right maybe this guy was selling weed in his neighborhood you know and it didn't matter that day in the park, the guy had a huge smile on his face, holding that jar with that spider up into the sunlight, saying, isn't that cool? And anybody can do anything, man. When I, uh, when I would come home after working out, I had this crazy energy. So I started writing a movie. I started writing a movie you guys know straight out of Compton biopic about N.W.A. produced by Dre and uh, Ice Cube. I think it came out around 2015-2016. In my opinion this is the best hip-hop movie ever made. Like bar none. Nothing comes close. You tell me what hip-hop oriented movie comes close to uh, Straight out of Compton. You know, maybe Eminem's movie, maybe Eight Mile. That's another great, great movie. You know, great story, you know, great acting, triumphant, victorious. I love Rags to Riches stories, and you know, both of these stories, Eight Mile and uh, Straight Out of Compton, Rags to Riches. But the production value in Straight Out of Compton was through the roof. $50 million movie. It's a $50 million movie. I mean, it's 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 Dr. Dre and Ice Cube, right? Come on. These guys are not playing. Cube's got 20 years in the industry, 25, 30 years in, in the film industry, 40 years in the music industry, uh, something, you know, give or take. 30 years in... 20 years in film, 30 years in music. You know, Dr. Dre's got the same... These guys are at the top of the list of everything. Straight Outta Compton was incredible. I saw that film, and it's, you know, Straight Outta Compton is, of course, about N.W.A., West Coast, West Coast hip-hop. Props, you know, props, props, props to West Coast. But I'm from Brooklyn. I'm from Brooklyn, guys. From Brooklyn, NYC. I'm from New York where this hip-hop thing started, man. And you know what else? I was there when it started. I was in New York. I had two Techniques SLB-10 turntables. I had a little two-channel Gemini mixer in the basement. My dad bought me all that stuff. I remember I stole. <laughs> I stole the first records I ever DJed with. You know, my dad bought me the equipment. I couldn't say, "Hey, Dad, now go buy me the records." He, he would, fun- he, he doesn't know. He doesn't know. He doesn't know. I'm 14 years old. I, you know, I don't have any money to go buy records. I stole them. I stole Flashlight, Parliament, Funkadelic. Uh, I stole them. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I brought them home. But the reason that I started DJing, the reason I bought those SLB-10 turntables was because of Grandmaster Flash. Flash was a legend in New York. If you're from New York and if you really know hip hop and the origins of it, you know Flash. Not only do you know Flash, but you know Flash is the guy that started it. Flash is the first bona fide hip-hop DJ superstar. No question, there's no question. You can say what you want about who you like, Jazzy Jeff, Jam Master J, Dr. Dre. These guys are great DJs, you know. All of them owe their careers to Grandmaster Flash. So what did I do during the first four months of COVID-19? I sat down and I wrote a 300 page movie about Grandmaster Flash. Uh, If you know anything about the film industry, you know 300 pages is 300 minutes because in the film industry, one page of dialogue is the same as one minute of screen time. One minute in front of the camera equals one page of dialogue, so if you got 300 pages of dialogue, you got approximately 300 minutes of story on screen, and you know, most movies are 120 minutes, so my project isn't a movie. It's not a theatrical movie. It's a six-piece miniseries. I wrote a six-piece miniseries about Grandmaster Flash and the beginning of hip-hop. And When I told my friend Hunter about that, Hunter asked me, Trev, how do you do that, man? How do you sit down when nobody's, nobody's paying you? Nobody told you to do it. It's not homework. It's not, you know, it's not a part of your job. Your boss didn't tell you to do it. How do you how, how do you he, he said how do you do that man how do you sit down, how do you sit yourself down and r- write that project and I told Hunter bro I know exactly what I want to do in my life I came up with a burning desire I came up with a burning desire for what I want to accomplish in my life. My burning desire is... It's its a couple of different things. But when I tell you, you'll see how they all relate and revolve around one another. My burning desires are to become a great, successful, genius actor, along the lines of Denzel, Leonardo, Johnny, Chadwick, Will Smith, this is this is, this is one of my burning desires, along with that, I want to make money from my writing, I can write, listen, if you know what you can do, You know what you can do. Michael Jordan knew he could play basketball. You know what I'm saying? Bruce Lee knew he was a great martial artist. You know what I mean? Leonardo da Vinci knew he was an incredible artist. You hear what I'm saying to you? If you know what you can do, you know. It has nothing to do with being immodest. It has nothing to do with being, you know, conceited. You just, you know... You get to a certain age, you know what you can do. Sometimes, you don't have to get to a certain age. For example, Michael Jordan, you know. At a very young age, this guy knew what he wanted to do. I know I can write. I've been reading since I was three or four years old. Uh, I've been... I've been digesting words I love words I love words I love the sound of them I love uh, what they mean the, the the you know the syllables you know I, I was counting syllables for fun when I was a kid I liked it phonics uh, synonyms antonyms homonyms everything I you know I like I like the English language I love it in fact I love it I love how it sounds So Words For whatever reason Right Everybody's got their thing You know For me Words Turned me on When I was a kid My mom Dad bought me encyclopedias I read the encyclopedias I was that kid Who Everybody's got that kid They make fun of the nerd kid who reads the encyclopedia <laughs> look at johnny i bet you i bet you johnny goes home and reads the encyclopedia huh johnny yeah well i was johnny reading the encyclopedia reading it from a to z over and over again over and over again as a kid over and over again so english is my it's always been my thing so writing came very naturally to me natural I sat down and I wrote this Grandmaster Flash script. in Four months, 300 pages. Hunter asked me how I did it. And again, it relates to my burning desire, which I bet you thought I had forgotten I was talking about. I didn't. See how, see how, I, see how I can do that? Full circle. Number one burning desire to become a great, genius, respected, successful actor. I'd like to add the word famous in there because famous equates with success. So I don't mind, you know, I'm not afraid of it. Second burning desire is my writing to make money from my writing. So right now, my goal with this Grandmaster Flash script is to make money from it, sell it and produce it. And that's my third burning desire to become a producer of great content. Those three things are my burning desire. And I knew during COVID-19 that I couldn't just sit around and wait for something to happen. You know what I mean? I couldn't just sit around and wait just like I can't just sit around and wait right now so I wrote that script and I sat on it I sat on the script for about six weeks I didn't know what to do with it I all I knew all I knew was I gotta write it I gotta write it I gotta finish it I gotta finish it so I did. I would write anytime I had an idea. I'm watching a Netflix movie. I'm writing my movie. Um, I'm doing push-ups in the park. I'm writing my movie on little 3 by 5 cards. I'm listening to their music. I'm in the shower. I'm listening to the music. I'm imagining scenes. I'm, I'm taking myself back to my childhood in Queens. Listening to Flash on 229th Street, my little uh, boom box, seeing flyers for Flash performing, writing rhymes, DJing in the basement with my stolen records. Remembering all those scenes, putting them in my film. And then one day, I was able to write the end. One day I was able to write at the bottom of the page the end, and I knew I had finished that aspect of the project. I finished it, I started it, and I finished it. Jesus, how important is that, man? Guys, how important is that to finish the thing you start? How important is that? How many, how many. How many projects have you started, but you didn't finish it? Let me tell you what I think happens to unfinished projects. Let me tell you what I think happens uh, spiritually and I guess energetically, consciously. I'll give you an analogy. Imagine yourself masturbating. You're masturbating. You're in a masturbation frenzy. Don't act like you don't know what I'm talking about. You're in a masturbation frenzy, and then, just as you're about to climax, you stop. You get up, you go inside, and you vacuum the house, or you wipe down the kitchen counter, or you fold the clothes that have been in the corner for nine weeks you just stop where does that energy go is that is that is that frustrating do you think that would be frustrating (laughs) do you think doing something like that would be frustrating what if you did that (laughs) once or twice or three times a week you know you started this masturbation project and just didn't finish You just decided, eh, never mind. What if you did that three, four times a week, every week? What's that? What's that? Like 10, 12 masturbation projects that you do every, that you start every month and you never finish and you do that month after month. I mean, what are you doing that for? Right? What's the... <laughs> when are you gonna allow yourself to get the payoff? What are you doing that for? Why are you doing that? That's how I feel about unfinished projects. You know, I guess certain people can tolerate unfinished projects, it doesn't bother them, but me, oh man, oh man. It bothers the fuck out of me. You see, the thing is, most people are not aware of the anxiety they create for themselves by not finishing their projects. Let me say that again. All right, check this out. Check this out, what I'm talking about right here. Most people are not aware of the anxiety they create for themselves by not finishing their projects you start a project and then you quit it that energy goes into your subconscious that you didn't finish the project you feel a little bad about yourself you you punish yourself a little or a lot I punish myself ridiculously but you know not everybody has the same (laughs) psychological whipping post that i do but you know everybody to a degree some degree punishes themselves for not finishing their project the thing is you're not aware of where that punishment goes it, it, it goes into your subconscious, and what it does is it creates a certain amount of anxiety in your conscious life. So you get this little anxiety, and you don't know where the anxiety came from, but where it came from is that project that's in the back of your mind that you didn't finish Now imagine how many projects have you started that you didn't finish that created a little anxiety. You got all kinds of anxiety in you based on things that you started and you didn't finish or things you wish you did or things you wish you were doing or things you want to do but you're afraid for some reason and i don't know why but i don't have any of that shit like i don't know why in every th- all the shit that i want to do like this podcast came out of my mind nobody's paying me it's 12:45 in the morning i'm tired i want to go lay down with my wife I'm sleepy, but, you know, I I also know that I want to build my broadcasting brand to where it's undeniably successful, and this podcast that I'm doing right in this moment at midnight, almost 1 a.m., This podcast plays some part in me getting one of those burning desires I told you about. I don't know what part it plays right now, but I know it plays some part. It's necessary for me to be sitting here doing this podcast. So I'm doing it. I don't allow myself to talk myself out of what I want to do, which I think a lot of people do you come up with your desire and then you talk yourself you you slowly or quickly talk yourself out of it why it won't work why it wouldn't work couldn't work shouldn't work and then then of course it doesn't work you know you, you you've you've created you know you've created energetic momentum in the direction of failure why your shit won't work but I don't do that I just don't do that you know I have questions Trevor why are you doing this why are you doing this nobody told you to do this you don't know if this will work you don't know if anybody's gonna like this idea this film idea this music idea You don't know if anybody's, but I do know that I want to be a successful, great genius actor. I want to get paid for my writing and I want to create profitable content with my film production company. And I know that sitting down and writing this Grandmaster Flash film is gonna help. I know that doing this podcast somehow, it's gonna help. And you know, it's hard. Like I said, I could go in the house, lay down, lay down next to my wife. I could uh, watch YouTube videos. Lately, I've been watching a lot of Prince videos. I go through Prince phases. I guess I'm in a Prince phase lately. I've been watching a lot of his videos. He's, he's got a couple standout songs that i am sure you've never heard okay i'm sure you've never heard these two standout songs by prince okay one is the screams of passion which was all originally recorded by a group called the the family from minneapolis it was you know fronted by some white guy i think his name was saint andrew and you know, multi-racial band typical prince band right and they recorded the screams of passion which was fantastic fantastic song their only song, was their only hit, Screams of Passion. But Prince wrote the song, and on YouTube now, there are demos when Prince was demoing the song for uh, the family, teaching them the song. So obviously he had to record the song, and he did. And his version is just so fantastic because it's live and you hear him talking to his band and you know walking them through how to record the song you know how to how to press the keyboard how to um you know how to how to come in with the bass and it's him talking to them and he's you know he's not even focused on his uh you know singing he's not even focused on the singing he's leading the band and his genius is just ridiculous L- listen here just a few minutes just a few minutes all right listen it's it's just so funky it's just so jazzy the screams of passion the other song the other Prince song that's phenomenal um, is a song called space spaces on the come album it was overlooked wasn't a big hit at all um, but that's another fantastic song and you know, I'm gonna be honest with you, I don't I don't know why I'm talking about Prince. Why did I go off in that direction? All right, listen to the song a little bit. Maybe I'll come up with it. The lighter you talk it, the more it does. So you know what I don't remember. I do know, I was, I do remember that I was talking about how to sort of develop a burning desire, because see, the thing is that burning desire is gonna carry you through those low moments when you're not sure what you're doing. You're not sure why you're doing what you're doing. That's, that's, that's my point. The burning desire will get you through those moments of depression or uncreativity or feeling sorry for yourself or feeling worthless or not knowing what you're doing. The burning desire is the thing that's going to get you through those moments, one or two simple burning desires. I want to, like for example, for you, you know, your your burning desire could be I want to live in a four bedroom house, two car garage, with a front and back lawn. That that that's a, that's a perfectly reasonable burning desire. I want to lose fifteen pounds this year you know, I want to uh, write a book (laughs) you know what I mean? Burning desire figure it out think about if you if 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 God knocked at your door right now God it comes to your door you open the door and he says hey hey what's up what's up it's me and you're like who the hell are you doing at my house man and he says hey it's it's me man it's me it's me it's me God it's God God you talking about God you're, you're not God I live in Doraville. God doesn't come to Doraville. Listen, it's me. It's really me. I'm God. It's me. It's God. It's me. It's God. I'm God. It's me. It's me. I'm God. And then God says, hey, so I'm here to ask you one question. What is the one thing that you want more than anything? What's the one thing you want more than anything? That's your burning desire. That's your burning desire. It's not easy to come up with a burning desire. My, my triumvirate of burning desires came from, we're in 2020, I'm going to say 25 years of work in various industries related to film, television, magazines, music, it came as a result, a, result, a result of 25 years in those industries. Don't be angry at yourself if you can't come up with a burning desire right now. It's, it, it's, that's, you know. The fact is most people spend the vast majority of every second of every day of every week thinking about the most basic menial rudimentary, survivalist things. You're thinking, is there food in the fridge? Is there gas in the car? Is my phone bill paid? Is the internet on? Am I hungry? Do I have to do laundry? What time do I got to work tomorrow? Most people spend their entire lives thinking about stuff like this. When's the last time you thought, what the, what do I want to do in my life? What exactly is the thing that I want to do? I'm suggesting that you think about it. That's all. That's it. Right. That's it. That's it. I'm suggesting that you think about the one thing exactly that you want to do. That if God came to your house tonight, knocked on your door and said, I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to let you get one. The one thing you want. What is it? Do you have an answer for God? Come on guys, how important is that? Seriously, how important is that guys? How important is that? Hmm? How important a question is that? God comes to your door, asks you what you want, and you don't know. Well that's the current state of affairs in your life. Right? That's 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 where you are right now where you are right now if you don't have a burning desire listen it's so important I can't I can't stress enough how important it is for you to have a burning desire to do something if you've got a burning desire to do something, if you identify it, then you can start gearing your every action to it. And it'll start to happen unconsciously. In the exact same way that all the shit that you do now, almost all of it happens unconsciously. You don't think about getting up and taking a shower. You don't think about making breakfast. I mean, you think about it, but it just happens. It just happens. It happens automatically. Why, why, why does it happen automatically? Why? It happens automatically because you do it every day. It's simple. It happens automatically because you do it every day. Now imagine, imagine you got yourself a burning desire. It's like new life. It's new life. It's new life. I'm here to tell you, developing a burning desire is new life because suddenly you wake up every day with a completely different focus. You you have a focus. You got something that you're focusing your energy on. huge, guys. It's huge. It's huge. 22 years ago, 21 years ago, I had a vague idea of what I wanted to do. I had a vague idea that I wanted to be in this acting thing, film, TV. I knew I was a decent writer. Didn't know how to bridge the gap between writing and acting, though. Knew I was a pretty good actor. Felt like felt like I had some talent in the acting thing. Was living in Florida. Was living in Orlando. Was working at Universal Studios. I was a Ghostbuster. I was the Winston Zedmore Ghostbuster character. I think I was making 12 bucks an hour, which for me, I think it was the most money I'd, I'd ever made at the time. Every other job I'd ever had was, like, six bucks an hour. This And I don't care. I could care less if you you, you laugh. I, you know, I could care less. It's 1996. So that's 24 years ago. Yeah, 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 yeah. Working at Ghostbusters, Winston Zedmore. Um... And I felt like I could do something better. I didn't know what. I was I was I was I was happy with the twelve bucks. I was on on top of the world. I was like a little mini celebrity. All of us Ghostbusters were little mini celebrities. Orlando, Universal Studios. Universal had just opened. Ghostbusters was still pretty popular. I'm making 12 bucks an hour. I got a proton pack on my back and my hair slicked back like Elvis Um, I'm like the black Elvis John black John Travolta is what hunter calls me and I I, I felt even though I was making the 12 bucks and I was a mini celebrity there in Orlando and it's doing pretty good I thought still I could do better I didn't know what I had no idea i had no idea but i felt i just felt trevor you can do better so i quit i quit the universal job and uh i took a flight up to new york back to new york i called my friend joanne she's living uptown at the time harlem Think like around 148th Street. I don't remember. I called Joe and I said, "Hey, Joe. Um, I think I think I'm done with Florida. I think I need to do something else." And Joanne said, "All right, you can come. You can come up to. You can come up to Harlem. Stay with me for a while, a couple months, Trevor." She said exactly that. You can stay with me for a couple months. New York is expensive, you know, and New Yorkers don't want to give up their space. She says you can stay with me for a couple of months and. And after that, brother, you know, you're on your own, fantastic. I got a place to stay, fantastic, that's all I need. So I left. I left Florida, left Hunter, left all my friends, and moved back to New York. Stayed with Joe up to, uptown. And for the first, you know, I think I was, I, for the first six weeks, I I didn't really do much of anything. I, Joanne and I went to nightclubs and at the time I read the Village Voice, uh, Village Voice newspaper was still popular. I, I, what did I do? uh, Tower Records, I, you know, went to record stores and uh, what else did I do? Uh, Yeah, that's, you know, Eight slices of pizza. Hung out in the Lower East Village on the Lower East Side. Hung out in the East Village. That's what I did. Six weeks. I didn't know what to do, and the t- I had two weeks left to stay at Joanne's house, and you know she made it real clear, brother. You you know yeah I, you know you. Yeah. You're my boy, you're my friend, but you're not living here, you know, you're not making no money, you're not, you're not really living here, dude, you got a couple of weeks. So I remember, I picked up the backstage newspaper, the backstage newspaper. And you know what, this story reminds me, I'm sorry I made a mistake at the beginning of the story, I did not take a flight up to New York, I drove I had a red Mitsubishi Montero at the time. I drove up to New York. I drove. And uh, I parked my truck, you know, around Joanne's place and took the train mostly, it, you know, to drag. I have a vehicle in New York, so. But anyway, I remember, it was the last two weeks that I was able to stay with Joanne. I picked up a backstage newspaper. And in there was an ad for a short film, and the character was supposed to be a Haitian gas station attendant. I'm not Haitian, I'm Jamaican. I knew a little little about working at gas stations because I had worked at one in Jersey, down, down in uh, Tom's River. My Uncle Jimmy, My cousin Tony, they got me a job at this gas station and I worked there for a while. So I I knew a little about gas stations pumping gas. You know, Jersey, I think Jersey's one of only two states in the country where there is no self-service, I think. Where there are still guys that come up and say, hey, how much do you want? Then they pump the gas for you. So that's what I did. So I I go to audition for this uh, short film um, I remember the audition was on Broadway. It was up on like the fourth floor in this studio slash office space. I think it was called Lion's Heart. I don't remember. Lion's Gate? That sounds really famous. I don't think it was Lion's Gate. Anyway, I, I auditioned for this young white, young Jewish white dude named Brian Ash. And at the time, Brian's, I think Brian looked like he was 17, 18, 19 years old. And at the time I was, about 20, my mid-20s. And I do the audition completely in a Jamaican accent, because I, you know, I can't do a Haitian accent, I don't know, you know, I'm not Haitian, whatever, at that time. I can do a Haitian accent now. Don't ask me to do it right now, but I can do it. Anyway, I auditioned for Brian. He casts me as the lead actor in this short film, which was eventually called Hand on the Pump. My character's name was Gene, the oversexed Haitian, and I didn't have any sex scenes in the film, so that's okay. Anyway, I remember... Brian we shot that film my very last weekend we shot it over the course of I think a weekend maybe two weekends I think it was one weekend though yeah we shot that film over the course of my very last weekend able to stay at Joanne's apartment and I didn't even I couldn't even stay I did I didn't even stay at Joanne, inside Joanne's apartment while we shot. We, we shot it at a gas station in Brooklyn and I slept in my car. I slept in my red Mitsubishi Montero Jeep in the parking lot of that gas station in Brooklyn over the course of maybe four days. Like I said, it was a weekend shoot, but I got there, uh, you know, maybe Friday, and we shot maybe Saturday and Sunday, and then I, you know, I slept in the truck maybe Sunday night, Monday night, and we shot that film while I was sleeping in my truck. I remember being hungry as hell because you know it was a short film. Brian didn't have any money. There's no craft services. Maybe you know, bag of Doritos and an apple juice. And we shot that film, and I slept in my truck. And the co- my co-star in that film, oh man, I don't remember his name, but he had he he later got a role in the bad boy movies with Will Smith and uh, Martin. Um, this 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 white guy, he later. Got, you know, pretty major role in in those bad boy films. What happened to me? Well, I had to leave Joanne's place, you know, because she'd given me two two months. So, I did, you know, I, I, I I located an old family relative, Aunt Ida who was living just a few blocks south of Joanne actually, right across the street from Central Park. She had a great, great place. I called my Aunt Ida, my old Jamaican Aunt Ida, and asked if I could come stay with her for a while. And Aunt Ida let me. And while I was staying with Aunt Ida, what happened? Brian edited his film, put it in a few film festivals. A few people saw it, and who saw it? None other than a gentleman by the name of David Klingman. Shout out to Dave. Rest in peace. Um, David Klingman saw me in that film, got in touch with Brian and said, hey, I like that guy playing Gene. You got a number for him. Brian called me and said, hey, it's some, some guy named David Klingman, talent manager, saw you in this film at one of these film festivals, and he's looking for you. I got hooked up with David Klingman. He became my manager. From that, I got an agent. David found me an agent in New York. I don't remember who my first agent was. And then I started auditioning. I became a legitimate actor. And not long after that, I booked my very first national commercial, which was for the Chevrolet Neon. I booked that commercial. They flew me out to Los Angeles, put me up in a hotel for five days. They also booked a female actress from New York, a beautiful sister who I flew out on the airplane with to L.A. That's another story. She was farting the entire flight. And I had to try to play it off because she was beautiful. And, you know, a guy can never say to a girl, what's wrong with you, girl? You're farting. Anyway, they flew me out to LA, I got to LA, I got an agent, I shot the commercial. And from that moment I started to create my burning desire to where I am now. Grandmaster Flash is reading my script. I've been in touch with his manager and they're talking about hiring me to write another script. Amazon's got a TV show coming out this Christmas. It's called uh, *The Underground Railroad*, and I have a recurring part in it. My website: a kid from short for a kid from Brooklyn. a kid from dot com. Check that out if you get a chance. Just keep going, man. That's what it is. If you wake up, you're blessed. That's another day that's got nothing written on it. That day's got nothing written on it when you wake up. Write your own day, every single day. Figure out what your burning desire is. It's Trevor David Houchin, nothing specific.